Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have Jira. Hello, Doe. And with us this week, we have Sue. Hello. And with us this week also, we have our special guest, Lydia. Hi. Before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to our special made watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We still have our poster giveaway going on. Our deadline for that is March 1st. So if you want to get yourself some free posters so your walls aren't so sad and naked, that's the time to have it in by. So I realized after we set our March 1st deadline that that is the first night of the Star Trek cruise, Mm -hmm. which I will be on. So how about we extend that deadline to March 8th? Cool. We can do that. To International Women's Day. We have have that authority. We have the power because we're international women. So again, those we have um, two of the exclusive posters that CBS was giving out at the Picard Delta activation in Times Square on uh, the premiere date. And to enter that giveaway, all you have to do is email us at crew at womenatwarp.com and tell us something. You know, because we know not everybody is is uh, a subscriber to CBS All Access or has access to the show. So tell us something about um, your favorite thing about Picard and Next Gen, your favorite thing about the new series. Just we, we ask for this. We're not judging it on merit, but we're, we ask for a specific thing to make sure that you're actually listening to the show. So tell us something about Picard. It's a pop quiz. and um again now we're now extending that entry deadline to uh march 8th at midnight eastern time now before we get too much further into this into our main topic uh our guest lydia would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit sure um i'm lydia i i'm been listening to the show for a long time um and i've been watching star trek probably since uh let's see i guess i was a, a little little kid i used to crawl into bed with my dad and watch it with him Aww. and we watched tng and for a long time all i really remembered was that captain picard day episode where they're crawling through the jeffries <laughs> yes <laughs> and singing <laughs> together um yeah that's like uh that's the one i remember the most because i don't know i guess I watched that one a lot with my dad um but my favorite series is DS9. Currently watching Voyager for the first time. I'm an artist and I'm in school for art therapy. That's, that's well, me. I've got good news for you. If you like Deep Space Nine, you're in luck. <laughs> because we've got a Deep Space Woo! Nine-centric topic today. Yay. He's slimy but not limey. He's <laughs> Odo, not Frodo. Oh my gosh. He lives in a bucket but he'll never say forget it oh my gosh <laughs> it is odo everyone's favorite space constable Woo. yay all right so when we so for some background on the character what we have here is an original writer's bible entry for odo written in 1992 would anyone like to give us a quick read of that well i don't think we have to necessarily read the whole thing but i definitely wanted to pull out one part um that talks you know not so much about just his backstory about the fact he worked on 
uh, you know, Terraconor and that kind of stuff, but said, as at first he was sort of an elephant man, a source of curiosity and humor as he turned himself into a chair or pencil. Finally, he realized he would have to take the form of humanoid to assimilate and function in their environment. He does it, but resents it. As a result, Odo performs a uniquely important role in the ensemble. He is a character who explores and comments on human values. That is so unique in Star Trek. <laughs> well, that's something we've never seen before really <laughs> i think what is unique is that he resents it so i mean yeah. yeah we see a little bit of that from spock maybe but like data whole on embraces it and most of the other character like seven is in a bit of a different position so other characters that find themselves in this it's a little bit different. Like they, they're generally, they've chosen to serve with humans and want to be more like them or at least to spend more time with them. And, oh, it was just like, <laughs> he's like, Rrr. yeah, he's that lovable curmudgeon. He is the most, we love that he is a curmudgeon. We truly do. I do like that he can comment on things more cynically than some of these other mm-hmm. characters and not just like not just sassy he's not just like a sassy vulcan but he's a little bit like you know in ds9 because ds9 has all these gray areas he's often the one to comment on them yeah for sure he plays that role really well and it does say something when you can have a character who is as a singular entity able to be an outside source and an outside reference on everything on every culture and um that adds a level of complexity both you know to your main cast, but also to having to stop every now and then and analyze the world that you've put them in. Mm-hmm. Um, it also says that he has adopted child syndrome. Yeah, I was hoping we could share that part too. <laughs> yeah, searching for his personal identity. And basically, he says, although he doesn't know anything about his species, he is certain that justice is an integral part of their being. Not sure how that pans out. Um, and, well, I'm but, sure it turns out fine. It's, it's going to be uh, fine. It's like basically says that justice feels like a racial memory for him, and that's why he became a lawman. Lawman. I think there's an episode. I think it's when he first meets the the founders, where he's like, I, you know, I spent my life looking for justice, and she's like, it, it, that is because you want order. That's mm. really what that is. Ugh. I love that that thing that he believes in so much is taken, and then when he gets to find out the meaning behind it, it's it's so sad. It is sad because you you water down the concept of justice to this of uh, this idea of order. Yeah. It completely dehumanizes everything about it. It's still kind of similar in that it, when you put it things in order, everything has its place and things you know, go the way they're supposed to go, but you cut off the emotional element of it. Which is so sad, because for, for Odo, that's that's his main contribution uh, to the station. He is able to be unbiased, but human, in the sense that he mm-hmm. is paying attention to what's going on on an emotional level, and, you know, he considers himself unbiased because he's an outsider, and that's what the Cardassians considered him, and that's how he got into his position. And so for him, that's the role he fills, and that's that is is his greater purpose and there's that great line in the episode when he's talking about how he was trained to do like tricks for people coming in to see him in the lab and stuff and he was like there was always like little tricks where i was doing the bajoran lines on my face or the cardassian neck ridges but you know what no one had to teach me the justice trick i just knew that that was important Mm. this might be extending the metaphor too far but it just it 
when I, I think about the founders telling him you were seeking order, and we also sort of see Odo as a lawman, right? It just, it makes me think of the dog whistle phrase, law and order. Yeah. Right? And not like the dun, TV dun. show, but <laughs> yep. like when we, when, when politicians say things like, we want to return to a state of law and order, it's really meaning like things like racial profiling. And it's sort of, right. it, it just, it's might not justice, be a, it's control. Right. And yeah. it might just be a, a hint at the sinister nature of the founders. Also, just in my head, I've gone through a list of all the law and order detectives that I'm familiar with, and I can't see Odo resembling a single one of them. I mean, he's not that great a shapeshifter, so. <laughs> but I'm changed. <laughs> Very nice. He's got like a bit of the munch cynicism, but that's like the. I could totally see him kicking it with munch. Yeah. I can see them being uh, yeah, curmudgeon buddies. Curmuddies! <laughs> oh my god. Um, but another background thing um, that uh, I found was in the uh, season three DVD special features, Iris Stephen Bear talks about how Odo was originally going to be, quote, a Clint Eastwood type. And he says, we sent writers off to write him like Clint Eastwood. And then I was told that they cast Rene Aubergenois. And I said, Clint Eastwood, Rene Aubergenois, Clint Eastwood, Rene Aubergenois does not compute. And then I saw what he brought to the role, and I had to call up a whole bunch of writers and say, guys, I apologize, but this is better than we even imagined. I think that's a really good sort of summation right there of uh, Odo as the law and order character and what Odo uniquely brings to the sort of character archetype, you know? Mm -hmm. And that with the sort of Clint Eastwood lawman, it's always, I am right, and therefore anything I do is justifiable sort of thing. And with Odo, it's... Um, I need to be able to justify anything I do, which is kind of the opposite. I certainly think that Rene Aubergenois brought to the character, I guess, more of a thoughtfulness. Yeah. And definitely more likable than Clint Eastwood. And I guess also a willingness to put himself in other people's shoes. Yeah. He seemed to take his role as, or his position as being impartial very seriously. And sort of with pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though he had to wear that brown suit. It was not the best look, but you know what? Can we talk about that? Let's, let's. Odo is always naked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't feel like the rest of the crew acknowledges it nearly as much as they should. There's also a lot of um, internet people who do spend a lot of time obsessing about this, including like the fact that he shouldn't be able to use his comm badge if it's yes. a part. Like, does he have a, the ability to manufacture like a working comm badge that the computer can detect? Apparently so. Huh. Didn't think about that. Not to mention that, you know, there's a lot of issues around the science of like shape-shifting and mass, but, um, you know, doesn't make me love the character less. It's just We don't have the budget to physically and visually explore that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it also means that, like, his sensory organs are just for show. Like, his eyes aren't really eyes. Yeah. yeah. All of him is an eye. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love so much the episode where we're seeing him talking to the doctor who uh, discovered him, basically. And so he's like, I'd never really seen humanoids before. And he's like, oh, but he didn't even really see. He didn't have eyes. And mm-hmm. just Odo getting pissed off, like, oh, my God, you are explaining my personal experience to me. Please stop talking over me. <laughs> Man, that makes me really wonder, like, how, like, 
what Odo really quote sees. Yeah. Like how he perceives the world around him. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. I mean, we before. got to briefly see how Jordy sees the world through his visor, but what, what do things look like in Odo vision? Is everyone just really weird and uncomfortably solid looking? Well, and when he's turned into a solid in Broken Link, yeah. it's it, it, like he doesn't seem to notice a difference with like how he perceives the world. It's just yeah. more like he can't shapeshift and like he has to eat and stuff. Wouldn't it be great, though, if we did see through Odo vision and he sees like his own reflection and he looks like Rock Hudson and everyone else looks super weird and gooey? Uh. <laughs> oh, man. So let's get into so let's get into Odo some more in terms of his story arc and some key moments and episodes. We have his introduction in Emissary when we get him introduced as this character that has a mysterious past and we get it's kind of an I feel like it's an awkward introduction in terms of it's kind of a throwaway line of him just being like we don't know what I am. I we just know it's from the Delta Quadrant just like that's that's the whole intro we're getting here gamma gamma quadrant but yes i knew that i was testing you that was that was that was a test (laughs) because now you know i am not a shapeshifter impersonating grace so anyway that that introduction always feels a little clumsy to me even though i know when you're having a pilot you've got to introduce all of your characters and you have only so much time and only so much story that you can tell in the space of that so that's Mm -hmm. my thought on that yeah, I rewatched this episode yesterday and I tried to take some notes on it so that I remember because I have pretty bad short-term memory recall. Um but my first thought when he when he first appears on the screen, um uh, I totally forgot about where he was um pursuing Nog and um a nameless thief and the dude like throws a, nun- a spiked nunchuck at his head and it just goes right through. <laughs> to the wall behind him and i really really wish i remembered like what my initial response to that was like the first time i ever saw that saw the show but i'm sure it was like what the heck (laughs) i think the first i think i remember the first time i saw it going well that's gonna be expensive to animate he does that all the time Mm -hmm. i know my most recent thought was man those bajoran security officers are not getting paid enough money Well, they aren't. I remember before DS9 premiered that, like, in all the magazines or, you know, Star Trek magazine, all this stuff about there's going to be this shapeshifter and we're going to see him change shapes all the time. And it was one of those things sort of like Voyager landing, right? That, like, (laughs) I feel like the fan base was just waiting for it to happen and they actually gave it to us right away. But um, it definitely happened less and less. Because it was so expensive. Odo was the separating yeah. of the saucer section, but in character <laughs> form. <Yeah. laughs> that's great. You only need to really see it happen a few times, and then we can be like, oh yeah, that's a thing that can happen. We shouldn't have to show you. You know, we told you. Well, on that first episode, and like the first, I don't know, maybe at least first half of the season, his face is not quite set yet no. either. So it's a little different than when he ends up as... Um, he looks a little more yeah, gaunt. Yeah, he looks a little sadder. But how brilliant of them to write into the script that he's not that great at humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's just changing it up. He's working on it. It's an, it's an evolution for him. And I remember seeing um, at a convention, Jeffrey Combs was talking about uh, hanging out with him and getting 
lunch at one point when he was first guest starring on the show and like, okay, let's, let's see what they've got for lunch. And Renee is like, oh, soup, soup for me. And then he has lunch with him another time. And he's like, oh, soup for me. He's like, oh gosh, this guy really loves soup. And then he realizes that he can't take the face prosthetic off to eat. So soup is the only thing he can do for lunch with the face prosthetic on. Renee. Like, oh, no wonder he's so scrawny. Soup for lunch every day for seven years. <laughs> Just puree me a, a tuna fish sandwich and let's get it over with. <laughs> Poor gay. That's a very obscure Bob's Burgers reference. Sorry about that. <laughs> so let's talk about some of his relationships then. The friendship with Quark. We get to see some really great dynamic there in terms of him being the curmudgeonly character and no, Odo being the curmudgeonly character and Quark being kind of the, the rapscallion. And we have in our notes that uh, it's considered uh, in a lot of ways an homage to Casablanca with Odo in Claude Rains' role of Captain Louis Renault and Quark as Humphrey Bogart's Rick Blaine. Did anyone pick up on that? <laughs> I've never seen Casablanca. So it's one no of those idea. things where I've seen it like be referenced before as like, oh yeah, it's kind of a reference there. And Every time I do, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I didn't think about that. But I never would yeah. have got to that point on my own. I mean, I think the the Quark Rick comparison is the bit more of the stretch than the like Definitely. the Odo Renault Captain Louis Renault character is like makes a bit more sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I had not made that connection on my own for sure. But it's cool. And DS9 is full of those kinds of references. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that the the, the interplay between Odo and Quark is perhaps the one of the best relationships, if not the best relationship on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely the major grounding one for Odo. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. get to- They play off each other so oh, well. And they love to hate mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And it's just really entertaining. You know, even to, well, the Ascent, uh, the one where they're, like, stuck on the planet, um, you know, like, the end of that episode is them basically, like, do you remember what I said about, like, how much you hated me? Yes. Well, I, I meant every word. So did I. And they're, like, la- kind of laughing about it. But then <laughs> yes. it carries on to, like, the very finale with the whole, you know, Quark, um, Odo insulting Quark, and then Quark being like, he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> They have got <laughs> such an intense and wonderful frenemyship. Mm-hmm. Which, which I'm not sure how else to say it. They hate love each other. They love hate each other. Well, and yeah. a lot of times in like media where you have two guys who have an antagonistic friendship, there's like usually something involving like sexual objectification of women. That's a dynamic there. I appreciate that there's no love triangle there. Yeah appreciate that very much yeah me too there's never really much uh like well i'm just flexing my muscles because they're bigger than Mm -hmm. yours like there's never any kind of like that dynamic happening it's usually like i'm gonna catch you doing something slimy no you're not (laughs) they're really (laughs) just trying to outsmart each other great i I appreciate that exactly because in a lot of the times when we see like antagonistic friendships it's a machismo kind of thing and with them it's just out about outsmarting each other Mm-hmm. And being like, no, you like me too much to get me in real trouble. And even them not being willing to admit they like each other isn't to do with masculinity. It's like to do with this, like, exactly. you know, the thief versus the the constable. Yeah. And uh, this, like, need to preserve their reputation as, mm-hmm. like, a dishonest guy and an honest, like, a, <laughs> an upstanding lawman. Yeah. There's no machismo in it, but they are both very... uh 
image oriented and I appreciate that. So are there any other aspects of the friendship between Odo and Quark that we really need to dig our heels into here and showcase? Aside from them climbing a mountain together and trying to kill each other while climbing a mountain. I will just say, like, I watched this episode, The Ascent, and um, the whole, like, sequence when they're in the runabout, like, leading up to where they, like, end up having to crash land on this planet, they're just... I was laughing the whole time because they're literally just trying to get on each other's nerves the whole time, and it was fantastic. But I did love that at the end when Odo really thought that they weren't going to make it, that he makes this, like, final log, and he, like, specifies that Quark would want his remains vacuum-desicated, and I'm like, there's your proof that he really does like Quark, (laughs) because he respects him enough to be like, he would want this really bizarre Ferengi tradition to be upheld, so make sure it happens. He doesn't want to go on Markdown. Exactly. Odo and Quark are climbing a mountain. Why are they climbing a mountain? <laughs> Their friendship wants to envelop the mountain. <laughs> to make umoks to the mountain. <laughs> Brilliant. No. So if you're a Ferengi oh and your gosh. remains are put like on clearance or marked down, do you go to Ferengi hell for that? <laughs> oh my gosh. So moving on to another relationship that we have that's recurrent, we have this relationship with Lixwana Troy. Which yeah, I, I love her. their relationship. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. And her their relationship is it starts out in a very kind of Pepe Le Pew, like, oh, I just like you so much and the I I don't know, no. And then it turns into an actual trusting and pretty solid friendship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love um the Forsaken. I love that episode when when Odo and Luoxana first meet. Yeah. Um because she has such a strong personality and I'm 100% on board with her because you just don't get to see that very often with women that are not like the quote young pretty mm-hmm. type. And I think it's great, but um, I just thought it was, it was fun to watch them get to know each other again. And um, she, I love when they go into the uh, security office and she is coming on strong and our boy Odo is like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't understand. I'm really confused. And to me, like, I just thought the whole interaction was great because if you had canon that, that Odo is more asexual and potentially even more agender, then he's more confused than mm-hmm. anything else, at least to me. He's just like, I don't know why you're doing this and i'm kind of you're in my space like i don't like what is happening why do you keep wanting to spend time alone with me exactly exactly and she is not picking up on any of that she's just like hey let's get to know each other she's like no no this is too much for me well yeah and like you know we said he really likes control and his routine like he gets annoyed when dax you know moves all his furniture (laughs) a like couple millimeters i mean um so mean (laughs) so you know Loxana is really like challenging all that and then in order to eventually get through to him she has to give him some space to be himself and to be vulnerable and show that she is a safe person but I love that we reach a point where their relationship is so trusting and all that that she she gets pregnant and he's the friend that she goes to like I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do here I'll be honest I don't like 
the there's so there's three Loxana episodes and I'm forgetting what the third one is, but it's the one with the gratitude festival. I don't like what that one and the muse have to say about don't her like character, episode. but in terms of what they say about Odo's character and especially the muse, like I have no problem with it. It's like, you know, it's quite touching that he, you know, really needs to dig deep within himself to again, be vulnerable and in this time in front of more people in order to do this thing that's, you know, kind of fundamentally chivalrous, which I don't think, again, Luxano should get in that situation. But um, I think that what he does is, is really quite, it's, it's, a, it's a touching Odo episode. He was willing to get shotgun married to Luxwana. The third uh, episode is Fascination. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, thank you. And that is also the one where we learn that she is unable to read Odo, mm. which is, like, I think part of her fascination with him. Ah, right. That would make a lot of sense. Because if you're a Betazoid and you can read on everybody, then it kind of takes the excitement out of it. It also know? means that the two of them are on a more level playing field than she's probably used to dealing with, with non-Betazoids. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. Yeah, the whole scene where they're in stuck in the elevator in uh, the Forsaken is one of my absolute favorites because, I first of all, I relate to it because that dynamic of him just, like, wanting it to be quiet and her just being super chatty is, like, the exact dynamic me and my wife have. So I, like, and I'm the chatty one <laughs> and she's the quiet one. Um, but I think it's really, it's a good moment that highlights Odo's internal um dialogue a lot because he spends pretty much the whole series really trying to belong like he wants so badly to belong but and being around growing up around solids and everything quote unquote he has done everything he can to emulate them and he can only do it so much to to fit in and so he's so resistant to looks to loxana because he's becomes like almost desensitized to this idea of like well i'm never gonna belong so i'm just not gonna let people close to me and she really pulls his walls down by being vulnerable with him to the point where she's like i i'm showing you you can trust me because here's me being vulnerable and nobody sees me like this either so i just thought it was a really beautiful moment where odo has like this little moment of clarity of like okay i can let some people in and it'll be okay so I like that. I appreciate that Odo gets to also have a continuing relationship that's platonic, but still treated as very loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. Because platonic love is good and important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can I um, bring up uh, Dr. Mora? Yes, let's do that. Yeah. And, and that's great opposition to his relationship with Lixwana. Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, because I mean, um, so I rewatched, I, and now I'm going to forget the name of the first Dr. Mora episode as well. Um, and then the second one is The Begotten. Mm-hmm. And they kind of tread a bit of similar ground, but yeah. it's, it's like, hey, your dad's coming to the station. He's not my dad. Yeah. And um, I really. He's not my real dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like I mean there's just some really great scenes in in both episodes and this dynamic that he has with Dr. Mora who you know wants to be his dad but also like literally first started a relationship with him as a specimen that he 
did debatable things to you? Did she commented was showing off to other people. Mm-hmm. And basically, treat. Uh, basically, that's what started this whole him feeling like an oddity thing. Yeah, and like in the the first yeah. episode, he keeps saying things like, "Oh, I can't believe like look at you. You actually like said that thing on your own kind of stuff." And it's just oh, like so condescending. And I I like that they are not trying to make him you know a a simple character like he's not meant to be a character that at the end of the day we all want them to just forgive and forget like we understand why odo still has issues and we definitely are in odo's corner of it being a complicated relationship where he he doesn't have to immediately forgive and forget everything that's happened and one of the things that i think makes the scene with uh pulling it back Lixwana so powerful when he kind of lets his walls down is it makes you wonder about some of his experiences up until that point. And then when you meet Dr. Mora, you kind of have a, oh, Mm -hmm. moment. And this is where he gets the hair from. The terrible, terrible hair. (laughs) It's like plastic Kendall hair. But also in The Begotten, we are also asked to empathize with the challenges of parenting um, for Dr. Moore. And then, you know, by putting Odo in that situation, trying to encourage the baby changeling, um, which I think is is important. And I don't think it's meant to, like, you know, excuse some of the things Odo went through. But I think it is uh, it was helpful to be like, hey, also, it's really hard being a parent. (laughs) As a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I watched that episode like an hour ago, and it's one of my favorites because I, I'm just gonna go on the record and say I hate Odo as a solid <laughs> art. It's my least favorite part of the series. <laughs> I'm like, let's let it be a change, like please. Um, and so I really like how it ends, but um, yeah, the way Doctor Mora is, he's hyper defensive the whole time, and that's really him deflecting because he feels he definitely feels bad about how it happened, but he's doing that thing that people do without realizing it where he's like, like shifting the blame elsewhere by kind of using these like martyry kind of statements, you know, you know, I smiled like that the first time you did that. Like when, you know, the little baby changeling gets shocked or whatever and he's like little did i know you grow up to hate me for Mm. it dr mora is such a crap dad he's (laughs) so emotionally manipulative and i hate it yeah and and it's like if you just took a minute if you guys were in therapy together yeah you would know (laughs) like you clearly are holding a lot of guilt for how things went down because he didn't know odo was sentient at that point and so up until a certain point you can kind of understand like to a to a limit of like why you know he was because if you don't know that what you're you know dealing with is a, a being that can actually like if it's not just some you know goo that doesn't have any kind of ability to recognize what's going on it's just you know a single cell organism or something you i can understand why you wouldn't necessarily think about how what you're doing is 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 doing to it but then as soon as it you know shows any kind of sentience you, you would know you should know to stop and readjust the way you're approaching the whole mm-hmm. and we get that line from odo in the first dr moore episode where he's like yeah i had to prove to you i was sentient mm-hmm. do we think that dr moore might possibly be named for dr moreau i had not thought of that 
Ooh. Hmm. Let's let's see what memory Alpha Just says. Thought about that <laughs> I love thoughts like that. I mean, could be coincidence, could be intentional. I feel I feel like if they were going to make a Dr. Moreau reference, they'd get a lot weirder with it. And not in terms of scientist who's also a kind of crummy dad, bad science dad. Um, it doesn't say anything in the Dr. Mora entry on Memory Alpha, but it's possible. It's definitely interesting. I also, um, so that first episode is called The Alternate and yes. also has, you know, basically that kind of twist that like he's been kind of merged with this other shapeshifty thingy and, but like it's embodying all of his anger towards him and feeling it being mistreated. And I do, like, I really like that. I think that could actually be a really powerful episode to watch with, with like a kid or, you know, a tween to try to, you know, open up some discussion about emotions and and lashing out ways of exp- expressing emotions and yeah and also validity of emotions yeah yeah that episode is is one of my favorites um everybody's loves a montage and my favorite is this montage of odo like pouring the baby changeling into all these oh. different shapes and like the way he's looking at him and like you could see him talking to him i love that whole sequence i'm just like yes daddy odo is <laughs> Let Odo be a, be, a, be a sensitive, caring dad. He doesn't have to be curmudgeonly if he really cares. No, and that's that's a great way to think about it, too, is because he, he, you see all this sensitive side of him that you don't get to see very often in the show. So it's fantastic. And he's even super nice to yeah. work. Forgot about that, where he goes in the bar afterwards and he's like, let's have a drink. <laughs> like, I'm celebrating. I'm buying a drink. It's pretty great. Aw. It almost makes you forget that the rest of that episode is Kira having baby O'Brien. Anyway. <laughs> strange, strange B-plots. So we did kind of establish that we none of us are really big fans about uh, the Odo being turned solid arc. Do we want to elaborate on that a little bit for a minute? We need to save money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds about right. I, I just... I didn't think it made any sense, really, and it. I just, I don't know. Like, first of all, it bothers me they turn him human. They should have turned him Bajoran if they're going to make him into a yeah. solid, because he grew up with Bajorans, not humans. So that bothered me. But I'm sure that was just an oversight. I'm sure they just weren't thinking about it because, you know, humans wrote the show. And humans are the default but, um, species. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I, I don't know. The oh, I did want to mention though that at the beginning of that episode of of the um the one with the baby changeling, there's a there's a total poop joke that is mad. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Which is he goes he goes in to see Julian um because his back is hurting, Doctor Bashir, and um he's like you your posture. He's like, well, I have great posture. He's like, you sit, you carry yourself too rigidly. You have a pinched nerve. That's why your back is hurting so much. You need to relax. And he's like, yeah, well, you, you told me about to do that last week. And he was like, well, yeah. And how did that turn out? And he was like, well, it, it helped. And so did the prune juice. <laughs> I just died <laughs> laughing. I was like, I've never noticed that before. Like, I laughed so hard. I had like, to learn to Oh, my gosh. Constable was constable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Back, though, to them being a solid. I just, I thought it was weird, and they did all these kind of weird 
episodes where they like explored him being a solid and like i hate the episode where he like has a romantic relationship with this random person yeah, yeah. um i thought it was really uncomfortable and awkward what do you guys i agree think? Yeah. i definitely i mean we didn't even put it in the list because i couldn't didn't remember it happened <laughs> you blacked yeah. it out it was so bad you were like no kind of like um in the world of star trek where we've got a very kind of sort of burgeoning free love attitude why would you need to be solid to pursue romantic relationships that just feels very silly i mean it also feels very ace yeah Uh yeah i mean in the i I realize i'm i'm skipping over some of the episodes on our list to talk about but like when we talk about odo as potentially representing asexuality i mean there's very much this like in in my experience as an ace person i'll preface it that way because everybody's experience is different um there is there's this like pressure to perform Mm -hmm. and and have these performative relationships and he's just like trying to do what he thinks he's supposed to do Mm -hmm. and it's awkward and uncomfortable for everybody (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Right. So like that, that is very much what I take from that. Um, we, we mentioned it when in, in his relationship with Waxana, where he's just like, what is this? What is going on? I'm freaked out right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have also had yeah. that experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like we see him later develop these feelings for Kira and. I have seen some people be like, they're negating his asexuality. And I just want to put out there, even though I don't like that direction in the storytelling, I disagree with that assessment of it. Um, just under the, the asexual umbrella, there are, I mean, cause it, it is also a spectrum. There is gray ace and demisexual and gray asexuality yeah. is like, sometimes you feel sexual attraction and demisexuality is you feel sexual attraction after already forming an emotional bond with someone and like when he has this these feelings for kira like it leads me into like oh odo's demi that's what Mm -hmm. this is you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like go back like think about how long odo has felt love for kira Mm -hmm. and it never like, it takes a long, long, long time before there is any hint of a sexual connection or even, like, sexual ideation or anything. Even then, I don't even know that you can say he's ever looking at her and being like, you're super, super hot. Um, yeah, I, mean, I super want to bone you right now. Like, it, I'm, like. <laughs> I should mention that it might be more romantic attraction. Yeah. And sexual attraction and romantic yes. attraction, while often related, are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, so I think that you could say he's asexual, but not aromantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but he could uh, be demi-romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like a couple ones where, like, you know, he's like zipping up her dress and stuff, and it's clearly supposed to be like more of a sexy moment. But it's not clear that we're supposed to like be in his body when we're viewing that scene. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I guess like. And even so, and then there's also he has like solid sex with the changeling lady when during the occupation. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, so, so awkward. awkward. Yeah, yeah. So that's how solids. I don't even remember what she said. Something like that's how solids 
share intimacy. It, it, they're just not even looking at each other like back backs to each yeah, other. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Ugh. It was really cringy. I hated that. But I had a lot of negative feelings about the female changing changeling anyway, because she was really manipulative, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that they all had the but, same haircut. Yeah, why did she have the Kendall <laughs> hair? She was just. But also, she him. has linked with Odo too, so they also have like a pre-existing intimate relationship. So that also isn't inconsistent with Demi or other ways of looking at his uh, sexuality. Yeah, and I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but like. Being asexual does not mean that you will not have sex either. Mm-hmm. That is also a spectrum. Right. You know, some some ace people are sex repulsed and some ace people really enjoy the experience. So there are, are many levels of what goes on in mm-hmm. this orientation. So let's dig a little more into the relationship with Kira since that's come up a few times already. He obviously has a relationship where he he feels deep love and affection for her, but it takes them both a while to get there. In terms of eventual relationship. I love their relationship through the majority of the show. Um, I really prefer them as friends. And I probably would have been more open to them being like having a more intimate relationship than friends. If they had really considered the possibility of trying to angle it from an ace perspective. Mm. Um because I feel like Kira would be open to something like that. She seems like a really open person and really accepting. So I think she would, I don't think that would be a, I don't know. I don't think it would be a problem for her. So I, I think it could work, but I just feel like they could have, you know, they could have done it from that angle and it would have been really cool. But I, I love them as friends and you can see how much they really care about each other throughout the majority of the series there was one episode that makes me so sad when I can't remember. Is it, is it Beryl that she's mm. forming a relationship with or Shakar. is it Shakar yeah, at that point yeah. where like, he's like, maybe you should, I don't think we should do our morning. Mm-hmm. For, like, what is it? The security yeah. reviews or something like that. And, and you can just see how much it deflates her and like how much it hurts. And, and clearly it hurts him too. And it makes me, I'm like, why, why would they do that? Why would you stop? I don't, it just bothered me. It made me so Great sad. How, um, even outside of a romantic capacity, how important their friendship is shown as being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it would have been really interesting if they had had Odo even say to her, like, I don't really know how to be intimate the way you are, but mm-hmm. like, let's talk about this. But I mean, I'm sure right. it was not even on their radar because no. I mean, the show ended in 99. Yeah. Like, and the term asexual really wasn't used for an orientation until, like, 2001 is mm-hmm. the very yeah. beginning of, like, of AVEN, really, the, the Asexual Visibility Education Network. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, in, in terms of, like, the larger queer discussion, it's a much newer thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. This is also another example of where more diversity in the writer's room would have probably been very helpful. Also, you know, worth noting, again, just the um, the difference in, like, TV then and now and what you could get away with on TV. And mm-hmm. obviously, like, I think you totally right. could have had a dialogue about, you know, I, can't, I don't know how to be intimate in the way you want me to be or, you know, have more – you can have a discussion without showing things. But I feel like they were, like, introducing these things that they could show – 
partly because they right. like felt they had to yeah. like the let's have odo massage naked kira like there's, <laughs> there's like the very few kind of moments that they could get away with and they were like we have to use all of them <laughs> yeah like it's the ones that are like the scenes that are more like heteronormative like sexuality those are the ones that really bother me a little bit more just because they feel a little awkward and forced mm. But all of the other ones where they're just clearly being intimate and, like, just really sharing a, a really special bond with each other, I totally love because uh, they just have a great chemistry together, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, even though we don't get that kind of literal discussion, um, that you could potentially um, draw some parallels with uh, – the episode Chimera and Queerness, um, where, I mean, I was saying before we started recording that, like, I really, really loathe that episode as an Odo and Kira shipper, because it's like, Odo meets cool dude who's kind of a jerk and doesn't like Kira and wants to get take Odo away, um, but fundamentally what comes out of it is that he has been performing for her, and he needs more space to be his authentic self. And uh, he does, and she finds it beautiful. And I like that message. And you can never uh, emphasize enough how important honesty is in any relationship. Mm -hmm. Looking over. So do we want to talk about his relationship with the founders and the Dominion? Because we've touched on it briefly as it relates to the other topics. But as a character arc for him, what are our thoughts on that? I think it's, I think it's, I don't know. I like it because you can see him struggle with, um, like, wanting to be back with his people, but also, like, really being repulsed by the the way that they are interacting with the rest of the galaxy, essentially. Um, and so I like seeing that struggle, it kind of, like, uh, opens up a character's layers a little bit more. It's intense. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is intense. He goes from thinking he's alone to finding his people to learning that they are, like, trying to dominate the galaxy. And then yeah. deciding he's going to fight against them. Spoilers. Yeah. But then also that he's going to leave his chosen family to go back to his biological family and save their lives. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's he has such a wild yeah. ride. I mean for- I mean I think he has the best arc of any of the main DS9 characters. Like I would say maybe yeah. next would be Kira, but like, you know, for Julian it's not. just like Julian gets social skills. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien has no arc. O'Brien just gets how many bad situations can we put O'Brien in? That is his arc. <sighs> Nog also has a pretty good yeah, arc, true. but it's it's kind of short. Mm-hmm. His doesn't go throughout the whole series, but Odo's really does. It spans from the first episode to the absolute last. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Nog's does as well. It's it goes. Um, it's just not you know as active as it is near the. He's he's not like a main character in every single episode, Correct. pretty much. But in in some ways, I think that's more impressive because we get so many fewer episodes with him but not the point of mm-hmm. today's episode right 
there was some good writing, let's just say. <laughs> this is a show we enjoyed and <laughs> yeah. enjoy discussing it. Let's discuss that. Um, I do really like this, you know, this idea of, um, you know, how powerful the link is and needing to return to the link. And I think, um, Lydia, you were saying that you had read some of the some more of the DS9 novels than I think most of us have. Uh, and you had something that was link related you wanted to share? Yeah, so I have read a ridiculous amount of the DS9 specifically reboot novels. Are and you I saying that you have dipped yourself into a gooey lake of Deep Space Nine content? I have linked myself to the DS9 content many times. Um, I've experienced that link. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, so there's a one, like a trilogy, uh, it's called the Worlds of, of Deep Space Nine, and there's like two different stories in each one. Um, so the second story in volume three is about the Dominion, and like in the very beginning, um, it's, it's from Oda's perspective of, um, the link, and I, let me see here. I wanted to read like just a couple of sentences if you guys are yeah, okay with that. Please do. Okay. So he's talking about what it feels like in the link at this very moment. It says he drifted through the changeling deep, not unlike the way the unusual being floated through the air, which is in reference to a care of a being that's flying. Odo's metamorphic body protracted into countless planes and tendrils, many only a single cell through, stretched through the commingled volume of his people, part of a whole. Connections formed and dissolved with contact and separation, passed from one to another, from one to many, from many to one. Fluid shapes arose, sporadically in the living ocean like silhouettes in a lightless room, then slipped away, shadows uniting with the dark. And there's at least two more pages where he's not just talking about the link, but like talking about um, the the sensation of being in the link and like being conscious and being separate, but also being totally commingled with somebody else. And I just think it's, it's really well written that particular little snippet about um, what it's like to be in the link. Who's that author? That one is um, David R. George the third. Hmm. Um, but, uh, Keith DeCandido writes the Ferenginar story, which was also really good. And that's in this one. Cool. We, we did too. the one that so. was on Andor and Trill, was it? Is that one of them? Cardassia. Cardassia. Yes. And I liked that. I liked all of the books that were in the, the worlds of Deep Space Nine. I thought they were all really mm-hmm. good. Sadly, we can't really talk about Odo in the link without talking about, uh, the end of the series, can we? No, but I also did want to say I really I do like his resistance throughout the series to the Jem'Hadar and and uh, the Wayans, the Horta, like worshipping him. Yeah, and his just not being okay with that at all. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes is the one where there's he's with the defector Wayun, and uh, it's just oh God, so it's such sad. A good one. Oh, so good, and because yeah, he's like on to them. Yeah, and he really disdains them for worshipping him. And that episode, he's forced to, like, acknowledge that they have, you know, thoughts and feelings and emotions and that that's okay. But uh, it's just, I I do really like that overall, that he he uses that against them at times, but he's very, um, 
just, you know, stop, stop treating me as a god, just stop. Especially when he's uncomfortable with how the changelings got yeah. that, I guess, mm-hmm. status. Right. Because they genetically, well, they created the Jem'Hadar, and I don't remember if they, yeah, they cloned. created the Vorta or if they just genetically manipulated the Vorta. They definitely the made them as, the, uh, as they currently are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I literally never thought about this until just now, but there's actually an interesting juxtaposition of Odo and Sisko, because Sisko is the emissary to the Bajoran. Oh, yeah! Not technically a god, but, like, he he's a a link to their gods, right? And so, and Odo, he, and of course Sisko struggles with that but he doesn't reject bit, it the way. But he ultimately yeah. comes to accept his place, right? Mm. But Odo resists it entirely and i think it's a really great great way to like compare and contrast like how horribly that can go and how well that can go just based on um cultural differences just Mm -hmm. really interesting and in some way i think his ultimate decision to go back to the link has parallels with some really strong other episodes of star trek like yesterday's enterprise like tasha i'm not supposed to be here and i bore with like let's send Hugh back and hope that he can teach the bad guys some like values. It is a lot like Iborg, yeah. isn't it? Except that in this case, Odo is making that yeah. choice. Yeah. Well, and they explore it a little bit in the continuation novels. So I'm always going to push for those because they're great. Good to know. <laughs> I feel like my brain just became that meme where it suddenly lights up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can really say that our perceptions have changed through this episode's recording. They have changed, Ling. They have shifted. (laughs) It wouldn't be an episode of Women at Warp without Grace making wonderful, terrible puns. (laughs) Can we talk about when Sisko throws the, what is it, the briefcase, and then it is Odo? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty great. Uh, Or the mouse. Isn't he a mouse? Yeah, he's like a rat. Where does all the other mass go? It just makes go? him super small and really heavy. <laughs> like, Cisco is having to pump iron for a couple days to be able to lift him as a briefcase. <laughs> if you try and, like, logic the whole changeling thing at all, it totally falls apart, but I really don't <laughs> <Yeah>. care. <laughs> so, so you could argue that, like, he, he they're able to mimic um, other things so precisely because they are able to utilize their entire mass in a way that's really convincing and less so as larger humanoids it makes Mm. me wonder if it's really like a a thing that they can't do humanoids odo can't do humanoids very well or if he's just kind of repulsed by having to fully emulate another person I don't know. I always, I always pointed out that he had fingernails. I'm like, you're going to give yourself fingernails, but you can't make your nose a little bit more. He's down with his look, okay? <laughs> it's, it's his aesthetic. Respect it. I thought it was human specifically and not just humanoids. Right? Cause he does the Cardassian neck. He could do details, but he doesn't seem to like taking on a full person's appearance. Yeah. Well, and it's probably more so that he can, he, he's like, I'm not a Bajoran. I'm not a Cardassian. Right. Like so, it's almost like his way of like owning his um his own agency and his identity of of a changeling. Like I'm never gonna be 
what you are, so I can't, I'm not going to show myself to be exactly as you but are. But he, he probably sense? had years and years of only seeing Bajorans and Cardassians before he saw humans. Yeah. Mm. Right. But the, the smoothness that they give him in that makeup mm. sort of makes him like a blank yeah. slate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just supposed to be like referential to the the being something that can continually shift and change. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that was an aesthetic choice in the character design. For so sure. before we close out, does anyone have any final Odo moments that they really want to share with everyone that have meaning for them? I mean, I love Odo as the Empire. He's having a great <laughs> time with that, and I love that he's having yeah, it. Yeah, so perfect. He gets to be, rather than calm and cool and judgmental, he gets to be loud judgmental. And you can tell he's just living for it. Yeah, he loves it. It's great. I also love that episode where he turns into a top for the little girl. Aww. Yes, it's too cute, but it it's also looks ridiculous, too. Because you can see Renee kind of get into this <laughs> weird, pose. like, spinny-type pose, and it just makes me laugh every time. I appreciate so many of his little interactions with the girl in that episode, like when she's like, changelings aren't real. We have stories about them. And he's like, telling them, he's like, I know how this story ends. And she's like, so are you, can you turn into a loaf of bread? And he's like, I could, but then you'd eat me. And it's just <laughs> such a sweet interaction of him being like, if I'm going to be curmudgeonly at a little girl, I have to be little girl friendly curmudgeonly. And I really like that. Yeah. It's definitely a, his softer side. And he opens up. He allows himself to be vulnerable again in another situation. And it's a, a great comp, like just juxtaposition of, of her talking about Changelings not being real and then finding out later that she's a hologram. And, and so he gets to, to kind of identify with that otherness there. Mm-hmm. We also that. have on our outline... Um, gender expression oh yes yes and i would say that like odo pretty much presents male right throughout the series but there there definitely have been you know fan discussions of like does he actually have a gender is he a gender did he decide on this presentation is it like is there a trans allegory here is there a non-binary allegory here well unfortunately I would have loved to see that dug into more because there's so much storytelling potential there. But this is another case where that conversation wasn't happening at the time that this was Mm -hmm. being written and aired or just the people who were having it weren't the people who were in the writer's room. So I, I love hearing fan takes on this. I love hearing the discourse that has come out about it. Yeah, people who see themselves in the character. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. That, that looks like I wouldn't have trusted DS9 to do that sensitively no, if they had not, tried it right. um, after Profit and Lace. Yeah. But um, I, I definitely did question, you know, because we know that Odo shapes himself after Dr. Mora. Um, so right. it roughly makes sense that he would shape himself to present as a man and that, you know, given that he's acted by a man, we read him as male. But um, I do, I think it gets complicated when you look at the female changeling and like, does she have a gender or is she presenting that way because we're supposed to read Odo as heterosexual, which then complicates the whole other discussion we were having before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they, it's because they're, you know, they're relying on audience assumptions and that, you know, she will be somehow more insidious if she's a potential like, 
romantic rival or, you know, maybe just like the ladies be shady. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really complicated. And I think that the, the changelings shouldn't, you know, there's, they, there's no reason that they should need to have gender no. and it, I, it would um, have been nice to see it explored better, but I, I think we'll have to wait for uh, a newer series to go that route. Well, let's hope we get to see yeah. that explored. Gender is a construct. Hashtag DS. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what's great, though, about, about this series is that it's still so incredibly relevant. It really sparks these wonderful conversations and discussions about um gender and sexuality and um i just think it's great so yeah of course we're never going to be able to be like you know if they only did this you know because it's you know so the times and it wasn't even on their radar like you said before sue but i i don't know i i think they they are still great resources for starting those conversations and exploring Mm -hmm. those ideas and I think that they can totally fit into them, you know, even without going back and making any changes. Well, that probably wraps it wraps it about up for this topic. Um, so, Sue, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And if you will be on the Star Trek cruise, you can find me there. Jara, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. In early March, you can find me at Emerald City Comic Con talking about Star Trek. And you can find me melted into a puddle in a bucket of sadness when I think about the topics that could have been broached with Odo but never were. Lydia, where can people find you online? Um, I'm most active on Instagram at moon underscore babes is my personal i also have an art one that's at lydia gh dot arts i'm on twitter too but it's more sporadic i don't really get on there very often um and it's at moon underscore babes underscore but instagram is where you'll see me mostly posting star trek memes excellent (laughs) we are all about that And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. There is also new the Roddenberry Podcast Network Master Feed, recently added to iTunes. So if you would like to subscribe to the Roddenberry Podcast Network Master Feed and get every episode from every show on the network. Uh, You can do so now. Just search in iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator for Roddenberry Network, and it should pop right up. Sue, are you saying that our listeners can join with the great link of the Roddenberry Podcast Network? (laughs) Exactly. That is exactly what I'm saying. That is super fancy. That's awesome. (laughs) Link with us. And on the count of three all together, one, two, three. Link with us. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.